Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. But I don't want to do that. They don't deserve me to treat them with respect. Now, so my name's Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here. And if you're familiar with my preaching, most of you probably think that's what's getting ready to follow is a story about my children. <laughs> and while that could be true sometimes, and they could have said that, um, in this case, that was talking to someone this past week, um, and we were talking about praying for and honoring our leaders. And in that conversation, someone said to me, but I don't want to do that. They don't deserve me to treat them with respect, deserve for me to treat them with respect. Now, here's the thing. The reality is, I kind of agree with that. Let me tell you what I mean. You see, when someone, when I don't think someone deserves my respect, I don't want to honor them either. That could be a leader of our country. Um, that could be somebody in day-to-day life. When I, when, when, when I don't think they deserve my respect, I don't, I don't want to give it. And then when you think about this, this word honor, this, this word respect, I mean, that's what honor means is to regard someone with great respect. And so why, why should I honor or give great respect to those I don't agree with or to those that I don't deserve, to believe deserve honor from me? And now pause a minute. We're going to ask that again, and I want you to insert your name in there. Why should your name show honor or great respect to those I don't agree with or those I do not believe deserve honor from me? Now, I'm going to just start up front and say, this is going to be a hard topic. I don't want to preach it. But here we are, and it's what God's Word says, and so we need to look at it together. You see, it's not an easy topic because even as followers of Jesus, several things make this hard. First is is the remaining rebellion in our minds and hearts, that we we have rebellious minds and hearts, and and so that makes this hard because in the rebellion of our minds and hearts, or, or we call that sinfulness, we buy into the cultural narrative that we must be in control. We've got to maintain control. And in the sinfulness and rebelliousness of our minds and hearts, uh, we, we buy into the fact that we, act like we, that we need to act like those in the world saying, someone must agree with me to deserve my honor and respect. And so in short, it's difficult for the same reason everything else God calls us to do is difficult. It's difficult because of sin. And if you remember, uh, think back, to, to we've talked about this a lot here, um, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, you remember why? Sin entered the world through, through Adam and Eve because they desired to be in control. They desired to be like God. You see, sin, sin causes us to be about our purpose and not God's purpose. Sin causes us to care about ourselves more than we care about others. So to honor those I don't agree with, those who I don't believe to deserve honor for me, that's a challenge. 
But that's our focus this morning. Because Jesus, and we're going to look at how, Jesus brings, brings hope as his followers honor all people. And, and in the context this morning, we're going to sp- talk specifically about Jesus brings hope as we honor our leaders. Now, I think this is especially important because we're coming up on an election Tuesday. And I guarantee somebody in this room, no matter what happens, multiple people in this room are not going to be happy with the outcome. All right? But Wednesday morning, Wednesday or whenever we finally have the outcome, um, let's, let's assume Wednesday morning for right now. Wednesday morning, will being a follower of Jesus make a difference no matter who wins this election? Will it make a difference in how we speak to others? Or how we speak with others? Will it make a difference in in how we deal with our own fears and concerns? Will it make a difference? So we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 9 through 7, or yeah, 9 through 17. And I just want to tell you that if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, what I, I want to ask you to hang with me a little bit um, because at worst, what I'm sharing today, if, if followers of Jesus act this way, at worst, whether, whether you agree with what's behind it or not, people will be treated with more honor and respect. And I think that's something we all want. But I would also tell you that I believe there's something much deeper here uh, for you as well. And we'll talk about that as, as we go this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 2, um, verses 9 through 17. And I remind you that this is God's Word. Um, again, um, again, I don't, I don't really want to talk about this, um, but, but it's God's Word. Um, and as pastors, we don't really have a choice because it's what He calls us to talk about. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This passage is written primarily to Christians in regions outside of Rome. And the reason they were in regions outside of Rome um, is because history tells us that, and, and our lead pastor John told us last week, that Rome has just been burned um, by the Emperor Nero. Uh, the Emperor Nero burns Rome, and, and whether or not it's, um, well, and, and the Christians are being blamed for it. Whether or not that was his original intent, it's a little bit of debate, but, but he took the opportunity, 
right? So Rome's burned, Christians are being blamed for it, and Nero is leading a fierce persecution against the Christians. He's one of the most vile, vicious leaders recorded in history. And then under his rule and direction, Peter, who wrote this, um, about two years later, Peter uh, was crucified upside down in shame and, and, and dishonor. He, he, Peter says, history tells us, Peter said, I don't want to be crucified. I'm not worthy of being crucified as my Lord was crucified. So they crucified him upside down. Paul, who also writes about this under the persecution of Nero, was beheaded. And these are guys that are saying, honor Nero. Nero committed a lot of other cruel and vicious acts against Christians. Um, But Peter here is writing, again, about two years before his own death, to remind the Christians, the followers of Jesus, that through what Jesus had done for them, they had honor and they had hope in the middle of this suffering. So now we come back to why should I show honor, great respect to those I don't agree with or those I don't believe deserve honor from me? There's two reasons we're going to see today. The first one is we've received, we have received honor we didn't deserve. We have received honor that we didn't deserve. Look back at verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's he saying here? He's saying here, God chose you as a people. God made you holy. What does it mean that he made, made you holy? It means that he sees you without sin. How? Well, it's because of what Jesus has done. You see, Jesus lived the perfect life. He didn't sin. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Then he rose from the dead to, to defeat the power of sin over us, the power of Satan over us. So in that sense, he, he sees us as holy and he promises that he's going to complete the work that he's begun in us. And then he says, God made you his people by calling you out of darkness, out of that misery and hopelessness, that despair. When, when looked from an eternal perspective that, that you were going to be separated from God forever, he's called you out of that into his light. And then he has shown you his mercy by treating you, by not treating you like your sins deserve. A while back, uh, my family was having dinner um, with another family that, that has kids younger than ours. And one of their children um, was playing with their food, um, which I was kind of like, <laughs> you know, they're not my kids, it's funny. Um, <laughs> so one of their children was playing with their food, and, and it got not funny real fast because the mother said, son, please stop playing with your food. To which the son grabs food and lifts it up and just looks at his mother. The father, to his credit, (laughs) calmly stood up, took the child's hand, and took him into another room. I was just waiting on the crying to start. (laughs) But the father takes the child into the other room, and I'm sitting where I can kind of see them a little bit, and, and here's what I hear. 
Son, why'd you do that? His answer, because I was angry, so I disobeyed mommy. The dad said, son, what do you deserve for doing that? The consequences you give me. Now, right there, I knew this wasn't the first time he had had that conversation. (laughs) The consequences you give me. We all knew what was coming, or at least we thought we did. But after a long pause, I can, again, I can see her in the corner a little bit, and I see the father kneel down in front of his son. And he's, he's down on his level. And he says to him, son, I'm going to choose to show you mercy. Do you remember what that means? To which the son replied, yep, I don't get what I deserve. <laughs> Peter saying that followers of Jesus do not get what they deserve. Instead, we receive the honor as a follower of Jesus because of what he has done. What is, what is that honor? Well, for 1 Peter 1, if you back up in context a little bit in verses 3 to 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So when we put all this together, Peter is saying that the the honor a follower of Jesus has received is that through the work of Jesus, we belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to the people of God, the, the nation of God. We are His people. We are a holy nation. And I like this part. By the way, this wasn't the part I didn't want to preach about. This I like this part. This part's good. It's encouraging. It fits what I want. But then comes verse 11. And he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So what's he saying here? If we are God's people, if we belong to His kingdom, to His nation, so to speak, the holy nation, then in effect... We are sojourners and exiles here in this broken world. Now, we live, we don't have the exact same circumstances of the people Peter's writing to, because Peter's writing to people that had literally been kicked out of their homeland. So we'd have to be kicked out of the United States to fully understand that. Um, and we have, we still have privilege of voting and trying to help change things to what we think is best. So that, that's a beautiful privilege that I don't want you to lose sight of. But as believers still, in addition to that, um, we are living in a broken world that, that is being made new through Jesus, uh, but we're not there. And so our first allegiance is not to this broken world, but our first allegiance is to Jesus. Our first allegiance is not to what makes us happy or makes us feel good, In fact, the rest of verse 11 says we should abstain from the passions of the flesh because they wage war against our souls. We don't do things just because it makes us feel good or makes us happy if it's in contrast to what God says is good for us. Our first allegiance is not to what makes our lives easier, nor nor is it to the political party that furthers what seems best to us. No, our first allegiance is to Jesus who made us His people part of his kingdom. 
Our first allegiance is to bring honor to Jesus, to point others around us to the work of Jesus and the beauty of his kingdom. That's what he says in verse 12, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our conduct should be such that it points people to Jesus. It points people to glorify God. Our first allegiance also includes trusting that the way Jesus said to point others to him is the best way, even when we don't like it. That leads us to the second reason we show honor to those who don't deserve it in our minds. And that reason is is that when we honor others, we point to Jesus. I'm going to talk about what honoring others means, and specifically in honoring our leaders. Before I do, let me give you an illustration of what dishonoring our leaders might look like. So yesterday morning, I was on the phone with a friend of mine, and he was telling me what I would call, he was telling me a joke um, that I would call uh, political satire. And as he shares this joke, to, to the, the joke was funny because he was running someone, it was running someone down. And I began to laugh because I found it funny. And then I said, whoa, whoa, wait. I'm just, just all of a sudden this weight of, wait, wait. He's like, what? I said, you know, I've been wrestling with a passage all week um, that I'm supposed to preach tomorrow. And I'm supposed to honor my leaders. We're supposed to honor our leaders. And I believe this is dishonoring. So I just want to stop right there. Um, And it was very awkward for a minute. Uh, But what does honor look like? What does honor look like? Look at verse 13. Specifically in relation to honoring our leaders, verses 13 through 17 are full of practical imperatives, and direct commands. He says in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Beginning of the verse says, Be subject to. What does that mean? Uh, It means the same thing we've been talking about in our previous series. It means submit. Submit. We've talked a lot about that word, um, but, but let me just refresh for you. It means to put ourselves under the authority of another, to, to in a sense, um, rank ourselves in, in this, whatever place of our life this is, under, under another. It's more than getting along with or, or um, going along with someone we agree with. It's voluntarily placing ourselves under someone or some group with whom we disagree. So this means that Peter is telling the people who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, who have fled from Nero, to be subject to, to voluntarily put themselves under the authority of Nero, the the emperor supreme, that's what he's talking about here, or to the territorial governor sent by Nero. Put yourself under the authority of the group that wants to squash out Christianity. In today's world... This means submitting to and obeying civil governments 
no matter, no matter what country we are in, as, as followers of Jesus. Because our first allegiance is to trust the way Jesus said to point others to him as the best. Now, there's no doubt that some places, some governments in the world um, have, have been set up in a way that it's better for Christianity to thrive in those. We have been blessed in our country for years that it's been set up that way for us here. But if we're going to point others to Jesus, then we need to honor and submit to our leaders even when it's not set up that way. Matthew Henry, a pastor in the late 1600s, says, To honor our leaders means that the duty required is submission which comprises loyalty and reverence to their persons, obedience to their just laws and commands, not those against the Bible, and subjection to legal penalties. So when you're arrested for going against the unjust laws. You got that? If I summarize that, um, it is that we are to submit to um, them with loyalty and reverence, obedience to the laws that don't go blatantly against Scripture, and then subjection to the legal penalties when the law does go against Scripture, we don't follow it, and we, we face penalties for that. So what are some examples of going against the Word of God? What, what kind of stuff is he talking about here? These are just examples. I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list. But it says um, some of those examples are if they tell us we cannot tell people about Jesus, or if they tell us we cannot pray, or if they tell us we cannot read the Bible, or if they tell us we, we can't meet together regularly, or that we must instruct our children in false teaching, or if they insist that we bow down to them as if they were God. Some of you may have heard of the early reign church in China. Um, started as a house church, grew, and, and under um, submission to the government, they were allowed to have a building. They began to meet. They began to train pastors and grew to about 500 people. About two years ago, the government did an about-face with no warning um, and came in, disbanded the church, seized the church property, the personal property, um, destroyed the church building, um, all the, the, the seminary things, um, they arrested one of the, one of the elders, um, sentenced him to four years in prison. They arrested the pastor and his wife. The pastor sentenced to nine years in prison. And the pastor made a note, uh, wrote a note, a letter to the congregation. And that letter encouraged the congregation to, in every way that they could, while continuing to meet together and proclaiming the name of Jesus, in every way that they could, to honor the leaders, because that pointed the leaders to Jesus. Peter goes on in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He's saying it's the will of God that Christians be subject to the government they find themselves under. We don't like to hear that. And yet it's what he says is true. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have many days or every day that we need to pray for and ask for strength and grace to be in subjection. But when we are, those who would seek to destroy Christianity um, should have no legitimate grounds on which to come after us. doesn't mean they won't come after us. 
but they should have no legitimate grounds on which to come after us because we're praying daily for the strength and the grace to be in subjection. And then he says in verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. What Peter's doing here is reminding the Christians that these followers of Jesus, he's reminding them, you are free, but your freedom is a spiritual freedom. You see, the Jewish people believed, um, and, and, and the Jewish Christians here were believing that no one could rule over them unless they were taken from their own people. Um, they, they had taken some principles and kind of con- confused them a little. Um, and when they became followers of Jesus, they thought that they were free from the subjection um, to rulers because Jesus was their ruler. But Peter to correct that and also prevent the Gentile Christians from making the same mistake, tells them, make make no mistake, you are free, but you're not free from following what God says is good for you. You're not free from following what God says is good for His kingdom. You're not free from honoring and respecting your leaders. You're free from the bondage of sin. You're free from the bondage of Satan. You're free to be servants of God. We often apply our American ideologies, our ideologies of freedom. We take those and we apply them to Christianity. And is it not true that often our American ideologies of of freedom is that this means I get to do what I want to do? We act as though that because we've received great honor as Christians, when we take that and apply it to Christianity, that we can do what seems right to us. Because we've received such great honor, we can be our own God. But this passage is showing us that because we have received such honor that we did not deserve, we are to be joyful, joyful, willing servants of God, pointing people to Jesus. Paul comes back and he summarizes what all this means in verse 17. Honor everyone. He's mostly focused on leaders here, but he wants to make clear everyone is created in the image of God, and so we are to treat others with honor and respect. That's everyone in our lives. Love the brotherhood. While all men should be treated with respect, we as Christians should have a specific care for those who are one with us in Jesus. Here's the problem. When, I, when we share that one, is that the church of Jesus, the people of God, are often as divided as the world around us. The way we love and other, honor other Christians is a testimony to the world. He's saying, love the brotherhood. Then he says, fear God. As Christians, we are to hold God in reverence to put Him in the middle of all things. We are to give God the honor due His name that comes because He is the sovereign Lord. And finally, he says, honor the emperor. This is his final reiteration coming back to leaders. He's talking about Nero specifically. In this case, 
He's saying those who love the brotherhood, those who fear God, those who understand that men were, and women were made in the image of God, those people will also honor the king. All of this points to Jesus. You see it in verse 9. Verse 9 where he says, um, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, you see it in verse 12 where he says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We see it in verse 15, that in doing this, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When we honor others, it looks different to the world around us. When we honor those that we don't think deserve it, that points to Jesus. Because it's hard enough for us to do it. But Jesus is changing things. Jesus is changing things in our heart. And so today, my question to you is, will you ask him, as we come into this election this week, as we come out of it, will you ask him to change your heart? I'm going to ask him for mine. Will you ask him to, to change your heart and show you where you're not respecting and honoring those leaders that he's put in place over us? I'm not telling you it's easy. But I'm telling you, God is about making things new. God is about pointing to his son. And that is where there's hope. That is where there's hope for change. That is where there's hope for good. Will you ask that today as we prepare our hearts for communion? Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.